Have you ever noticed how everything degrades? Given enough time, everything loses its luster and newness. Whether with age or misuse, things break down and need repair. Eventually, everything needs restoring. The same is true for us. We too need restoration. Not just from getting older and breaking down in our bodies, but restoration for our spirit as well. Life takes its toll. We often make wrong choices that wound us and scar us. Life can even beat us down to the point of making us feel useless, leaving us questioning our very existence. But no matter what we've been through, we are still valuable to our Maker. God is in the business of restoration. He alone can pick us up and clean us off and make us new. See, in the hands of a master craftsman, that which was broken and abandoned can be restored and put back to good use. With patient and loving care, God our Father heals our wounds and mends our scars. He smooths over the rough edges and places the broken parts of our lives. But it is costly. Any restoration will take time, energy, and resources. For God, it cost Jesus on the cross, but to Him, you were worth it. God is calling to all of us, saying, Come, know that you are useful. Trust my gentle care. Commit yourself to the hands of your Maker. Come, be restored. Wow. Amen. Come be restored. Let's all stand to our feet, raise our hands towards heaven, and let's pray a prayer together. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on the cross for my sins. Holy Spirit, speak to me today. I am open. Do your best work in my life. I trust you. Father, you are my Father. I acknowledge your Lordship over my life. Take me. Make me a masterpiece of your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give somebody a high five. Hallelujah. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17. We want to welcome everyone who's in the cafe this morning. We want to welcome everybody who's watching this via live stream all around the world and via live stream in the country. We welcome you and we thank God that you tune in every week to watch this service. We are honored, deeply honored that you would do that. Jeremiah 30, verse 17. For I will restore, everybody say restore. restore. I will restore health to you and your wounds I will heal. Everybody say heal. heal. Declared the Lord, because they have called you an outcast, it is Zion for whom no one cares. Now I want you to turn to Joel. It's in the Old Testament, very easy to find. It's between Genesis and Revelation. Joel chapter 2 verse 25. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. Notice that God did the sending. And God did the sending because he wanted to make sure that the people of God would repent so that they could be restored. Somebody say amen. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. Everybody say satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Now this morning I want to continue my series entitled The Power of Re. And everyone in every place around the world needs a re in their life. 
We need to be restored. We need to be revived. We need to be re redeemed. We need to be repaired. We need to be uh, reengaged. We need to understand that God wants us to be reignited by his power. We need to be renewed. We need to know that God is going to do a work in our life. And God has been doing that for the last several weeks. God has been doing some incredible things in this place. If you remember, we started with the concept of understanding that we need to be revived. And then two weeks ago, we talked about being relit for the kingdom of God. And last week, Pastor Henry did a wonderful job telling us that we need to be refreshed and showing us how that we can step into the refreshing power of God in our life. But this morning, I want to talk about being restored. I want to talk about how God comes into our life and he begins the process of restoration in our life. You see, the truth is that God is a God of restoration. And from the very beginning of time, God's number one priority for mankind was to restore mankind into a relationship with him and restore mankind into what God originally purposed for them to be. Now the Bible tells us that God put Adam and Eve in the garden and he told Adam and Eve that, that they can enjoy his presence, they can enjoy everything that he's ever created in their lives, but they were not to touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because God put that tree in the garden so that they could have free will. And I want to tell you something, God will never violate our free will. That God respects our free will. Somebody said that God so respects our free will that he'll allow us to send ourselves to hell because he's made us in, our, in his image. He said, let us make man in our own image. And one of the things about God is God has a free will and he's given that free will to you. The Bible says because Satan came and deceived Adam and Eve that Adam and Eve took of that tree and the moment they took of that tree as God promised they died they died spiritually and they were separated from God and from that point on God said to the enemy he said to Satan himself that he was going to see, send the seed of the woman and that seed of the woman was Jesus Christ and the Bible says the seed of the woman would crush your head come on somebody say amen the seed of the woman would crush your head but you would bruise his heel and so right from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the book of Revelation, we see that God is in the restoration business. That God takes that which is thrown aside and God makes it new. He makes it restores it back to his original purpose for whatever he intended it to be. And so we want to talk about restoration. Why? Because there's a cycle of restoration in this world. First there is sin. There's rebellion. And then because of our rebellion, we get ourselves into a mess. The truth is when we rebel against God and we don't listen to God, we get ourselves into all kinds of problems in our life. And we get bruised and we get beaten up. We get some nicks and scratches. Now, God doesn't want us to do those things or get those nicks and scratches in our life. But the truth is because of rebellion, because of sin in our life, we find ourselves in a mess. And as a result of that, so often we find that we or we feel as if we're not worthy. We feel like we're not valuable. We feel like a piece of junk. How many of you have ever felt like a piece of junk? Come on. Oh, just a few of you, huh? You guys are in denial, and that's not just a river in Egypt. Come on, somebody. Where we feel like we're useless, and, and God tells the people of Israel, he's going to restore them. You see, the people of Israel, they were rebellious. They were God's chosen people, like you're God's chosen person. They were God's chosen people. And God said, as long as you love me, as long as you serve me, as long as you obey me, then you are going to fulfill my plan for your life. But they rebelled against God. And Jeremiah, this young prophet, comes and he speaks to them and he warns them. He says, listen, you better get on track because disaster is going to come. You know, problems are going to come in your life because you're not obeying God. But they would not listen. And God had to take his hand of protection off their life. See, you know, all God has to do is take his hand of protection off our life. And we're dead meat. Come on, somebody say amen. Aren't you glad for the protection of God in your life? But there does come a point where we say, you know what, God, I don't need you. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I don't need to read your word. I don't need to obey you. And God, God says, you know what, I'm just going to take my hand off of your life. And, and listen to me. Listen to me, young person. 
You never want to be living in a place where the hand of the Lord is off your life. Where the, where the umbrella of God's protection is off your life. And so the Bible says that God took his hand of protection off the Israelites and destruction came. The Babylonians came in and they destroyed Jerusalem. And they took the people of Israel back into captivity and they were in captivity for 70 years. And in the middle of that, Jeremiah speaks a word of restoration. Joel the prophet speaks a word of restoration. I want you to know something. That even when you're backslidden, when you're away from the Lord and your life is a mess, God is still speaking. He's speaking promises of restoration. He's speaking promises of restoration in your life, in your family's life. And what does the Bible say? Jeremiah says, I will restore you back to hell and I will heal all your wounds the cycle of restoration sin causes disobedience and then separation from God and separation from God the one who brings life brings a lot of pain and brokenness in our life and then there is this time of repentance when we come back to God like the Israelites do when we cry out to God and we say God I'm broken man God, I am dented and banged up and I'm beaten up and I feel like a piece of junk. And we cry out to God and we say, God, forgive me. And God comes back into our life. And what does he do? He begins the process of healing in our life. He begins the process of restoration in our life. He restores relationships, not only with himself, but he restores relationships with other people. He brings spiritual restoration. He brings family restoration. He brings emotional restoration. He brings financial restoration. You know what? I love to look at the people when I'm preaching at them. Why? Because when I look at you, I hear the stories in my mind. I remember when you came into this place and you were broken. You were desperate when you cried out to the Lord and God began the healing process in your life. Hallelujah. And I'm watching you be restored. I'm watching the beautiful process of God taking dust and making something beautiful out of it. Come on, somebody. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to be the most handsome or beautiful person I've ever seen in my life. He says, you've rebelled, Israel, but now you have turned back to me. And as a result of that, he said, I will restore you back to hell. You have sinned. You have not repented in the beginning, but now because I've sanded you down, I've worn you down, and you know and you understand now that there's only one place that you can find safety, and it's in my arms, and you are a broken person. You are wounded as a people, and you have been an outcast and a byword to the nations. You have been a despised people, and I've allowed you to get to that point in your life so that you would repent and turn back to me so that I could, listen to me, restore you back to hell. Is two words there that I love. Number one, the word Rapha. The Bible says, I will restore and heal you. And the Hebrew word for healing is Rapha. You've been Raphad. God said, I am the God that heals you, that healeth thee. That word is Rapha. And that's an incredible word in the Hebrew. And sometimes you got to really look deep and look into the Greek and the Hebrew to find out what is God really saying when he said, I will heal you. When God said to the people of Israel, I will heal you, he was saying, I'm going to refi you. And the word refi means to repair. The scriptures tell us that Ezra repaired the altar of God. He refied the altar of God. He repaired it again. It was broken and he repaired it. The word Rafa in the Hebrew gives us this understanding that we have a broken limb. And the physician comes and he heals the limb. He knows exactly how to bring healing in the life of the person who has a broken thigh, a broken bone. And he, he gently takes that and puts it back into place. And then, and then he mends it up, puts a cast on it so that there can become healing there's healing in the life of a believer as God, the master, the physician comes and he begins to, he breaks us and then he mends us and he begins to heal us. There's another word. It's the word restore where we get that word shalom. And that word shalom means peace. And so how does that, 
How does that line up with the word restore? You see, when God begins to heal you, your life is at peace. When God begins to heal you and restore you spiritually, the byproduct of that is that you become a benefactor of spiritual healing that causes emotional wholeness in your life. You see, before we were spiritually healed, we were a mess emotionally. But then God comes into our life and he restores us. He brings peace with God, peace within. He brings tranquility and calmness and he begins to mend us. He begins to bring that healing process into our life so that we can be everything that God intended us to be. So the word restore means to recover. It means to perfect. It means to raise up again. It means to shoot up. It means to spring forth again. And so he tells the people of Israel that I'm going to heal you and I'm going to restore you so that you would be refined and you would have peace in your life so that you can recover from your wounds so that you can recover from your disease and your sickness. And that sickness was sin that causes an incredible amount of pain in your life. But I'm going to give you a makeover, God says. I'm going to overhaul you. I'm going to recondition you. I'm going to refurbish you. I'm going to remodel you. I'm going to redevelop you. I'm going to remake you. And I'm going to renovate you. There's a whole lot of R.E.s in those terms. Come on, somebody. The power of R.E. in our life. That God wants to remodel us. He wants to remake us. He wants to restore us back to what he intended for our lives. And so Joel says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. And the hopper and destroy and the cutter. My great army that I sent to you to get you to the place where you would repent. And then he said, you shall, right in the middle of their heartache, right in the middle of their pain, while they were still in the corner of some garage filled with dirt and filled with dust and filled with bumps and cracks and scratches, feeling hopeless and helpless, God speaks to the people of Israel and says, you know what? Someday I'm going to restore you. And listen to what he says. And you will eat plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people who have been put to shame and were a by, uh, just a, a, a just a byword and and someone who was an outcast now I'm going to make you again I'm going to redeem you I'm going to buy you back again I'm going to heal you and restore you so all the nations of the world will come and see this is the God of mercy and grace who takes broken and makes it well again come on somebody say amen glory to God And so God is saying to us this morning that he wants to restore us. That's the heart of God. It's always been the heart of God. See, God is in the restoration business. I like what it says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. And, and listen to me. I know that we try our best to put some of the scriptures on the screen. But today I purposely did not put all the scriptures on the screen because I'm making you very dependent on the screen. And you're not pulling out your Bibles any longer. But I want you to know that every Sunday you need to bring your Bibles, your smartphones, whatever it is, and you need to mark up your own Bibles. You need to know where to go. I, need, I want you to write down scriptures and remember those scriptures and memorize those scriptures so that you can learn for yourself so that the healing process can occur in your life. Why? Because the Bible tells us the word of God will bring healing to our very bones. Proverbs 4.20. So you've got to learn to take your Bibles and open them for yourself. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 says, Going from that place, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Look at the power of God. Look at the heart of God. Look at what Christ did when he came. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to rafa on the Sabbath? And he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable, everybody say valuable. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful and good to heal on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. 
So he stretched it out, and it was, listen to me, completely restored. It was completely restored. God wants to do a work of completion and wholeness in your life. He wants to completely restore you. He wants to restore you back to spiritual health. He wants to restore you emotionally. He wants to restore you physically by his stripes. The Bible says you were sozoed. The word sozo in the Greek means that he would take you and literally holistically heal you. Body, soul, and spirit. That's a powerful word in the Greek, sozo. It means that we were away from God, but when we came to God, God restored us back into relationship, sent the Holy Spirit so that we might be, listen to me, we might be healed body, soul, and spirit. Friends, you need to begin to believe God, that God wants to heal your body, that God wants to heal your mind, that God wants to heal your spirit. In fact, right now, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to declare with me, I want you to pray with me, and I want you to ask the Lord to heal you, and I want you to declare that you are healed in the name of Jesus pray this prayer Lord Jesus thank you that you came and died for my healing I claim my healing thank you God that you are restoring me back to total health I receive it in the name of Jesus amen goes on to say, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from this place. Many followed him, and he rafad them of all their sicknesses, warning them not to tell who it was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant. Listen to the heart of Jesus here. I love this. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. And he will proclaim justice to the nation. Talking about Jesus. And he will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their trust. Luke chapter 4 verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom, restoration for those that are in prison, and recovery, healing. He sent me to Rafa, to sozoed people, so that they might receive sight for their blind eyes, so that they might be released from the oppressor, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the very heart of God. That God wants to make you and I a divine masterpiece. I want you to take out your Bible again, and I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And if there's no other verse that you can mark up today, I want you to mark this one up. Are you ready to go? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. For it is by grace that you are saved, not by works. It is through faith, and it is a gift from God. For what reason? Look at verse 10. So that God, who purposed long ago that we would become, listen to me, his workmanship created in Christ to do good works. There it is. That God is saying to every one of us today that he wants to begin the process or he wants to continue the process in our life, our restoration. What's the purpose? So that we might be for the glory and praise of his great name. Come on, somebody. That God finds us where we are. And then he takes us and he strips us down. And he begins to repair us and refine us and renew us and restore us. So that the world would see that we're a blessed people. So the world would see the love of Christ shining through us. As the word of the Lord says, let your light so shine amongst men. That they would see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Friend, God's purpose for our life is that we might be his masterpiece. Come on somebody. A trophy of his grace and his masterpiece, his workmanship created in Christ to do good works. And when did God plan that for our lives? Well, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, before the foundations of the world, Christ chose us, listen to me, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In his love, he predestined us that we might be adopted as his sons 
For what reason? For his praise and his glory. Friend, when God begins to do that healing work in your life, when God begins to restore your life, your neighbors are going to look and they're going to say, something's different about this person. Glory to God. When all the marriages around you are falling apart, but your marriage is standing strong and you're doing well physically and you're doing well financially and you're doing well spiritually and most important, you're doing well with your relationship with God and you're doing well emotionally in your life, you bring praise and glory to God. The nations come, the world comes, your neighbors come and they say, man, there's something different about that person. He has the reflection of Christ in his eyes. He's got the reflection of Christ in his life. And as a result of that, you become God's beautiful masterpiece. Somebody say amen. And so there's a process that happens in all of our life. It's called restoration. Now, now there are some people that love to restore things. How many of you, you love to take some old things and bring it back to life again? You like to restore things. You're like three people in this place. Glory to God. You know, my cousin Johnny, and I hope he's watching this morning, but my cousin Johnny lives in Florida. And my cousin Johnny loves to restore old Camaros, Z28 Camaros. He had one when he was a young guy. And, and now he's kind of on this thing where he actually takes worn out, dented, you know, bruised Camaros. And he can see the worst in that Camaro. And everyone else says, you know, it's a piece of junk. Throw it away. You know, bring it to the junkyard. Cut it up and just use the parts for something else. My cousin Johnny can see the worst in a Z28, and he begins to work that car, and he begins to put all the pieces back together, and he creates something beautiful. Take a look at this. He creates something restored. He refines it, he repairs it, and he restores it back to life. Some people like to restore furniture. Some people can see a piece of furniture. They go to garage sales. Did you, did you ever meet a professional person who loves to go to garage sales? They're professional garage sellers purchasers and, and they can tell you how to find something you know I know a couple of people my friend Janine is a she's a professional garage sailor and she'll go from garage sale one to another and every once in a while I'll visit her home and I go Janine wow that piece of furniture is unbelievable where did you buy it? Did you buy it at a really expensive furniture place? She goes, no, I just got it at a garage sale. I stripped it down and I repaired it. I refined it. I restored it back to new life. Come on, somebody. It's an amazing process. You know, some people, they, they, they love to, to find old things that seem like, you know what, what's it good for? Just throw it away. Well, my wife, kinds of, she likes to do that as well. And so she found these windows and... Um, and, you know, I'm the kind of guy who, I don't like clutter in my house. I don't like stuff that looks like junk hanging around, you know. So every once in a while, you know, when my wife's not looking, you know, I go into the shed, you know, and I take some stuff out. And I, and I try to get it to the curb, and all of a sudden the sirens go, caught you, you know. It's kind of like, you know, in my neighborhood. You know, every once in a while, people in my neighborhood, they put, out, they put out some really good stuff. I mean, and I'm driving down the block, and I'm seeing this good stuff on the curb, you know. But I would never, not in my neighborhood. I'll go to another neighborhood, but not in my, <laughs> not, not, not in my neighborhood. Because, uh -uh. you know, because, you know, I, I, I have these nightmares that, you know, I'm going to go to my neighbor, and as soon as I touch that piece of furniture that's on the curb, all the lights and sirens are going to go up, and it's Steve Malazzo, Steve Malazzo's taking my stuff, you know? I'm like, no way, dude, you know? But my wife has these windows, and, um, and, and my wife likes to restore things. She likes to restore furniture, and, and she starts that process, and God loves to restore our life. So how does God begin the restoration process in our life? I mean, if you look at it as a process, well, what's step one for God in our life? Step one for God in our life is he comes and seeks us out. He looks for us and he finds us. You see, that's really important. That, that's really very important for you and I to, to understand because, see, we really believe when we come to God that we're doing God a favor. It's like, you know, I came to you, God. You know, when I was a little kid, I was about 13 years old, there was a Billy Graham crusade. It was a good crusade, but, 
But uh, actually, there was a bumper sticker you're supposed to put on the car, and you know, you're supposed to declare your faith to all your neighbors. And the bumper sticker said, I found it. Anybody remember that? Yeah, like three people that are like over the age of whatever, right? And, 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 and people used to make fun of that, like, you found it. What did you find? You know, and I was, you know. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that, that we didn't find God. Listen to me. This is so critically important for you to understand. You didn't choose God. God chose you. Come on, somebody. Amen. That Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. You see, that should make us feel really good to understand that God went to a garage sale and you were in the corner of that garage, and you were feeling worthless, you were feeling bumped and bruised, and you were feeling neglected, but God went into that garage, and he saw that you had incredible worth, and he picked you out. He handpicked you, glory to God. He said, I want that one, hallelujah. He said, I want that one, and 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 he handpicked you, right? Why? Because you've been chosen by God, and the next time the devil tells you that you're garbage the next time the devil tells you that you're worthless the next time the devil tells you that you're useless say you know what the king of glory he came down from heaven he left his throne hallelujah and he died on an old rugged cross and he redeemed me back by the blood of the lamb so that i'm special i'm important why because god handpicked me i'm chosen by god hallelujah glory to god don't you think for a moment that you chose god he chose you Man, I tell you what, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I couldn't stand as a kid, you know, standing on that line. You remember, you know, when you're like 12 years old and, and your brothers are a lot older than you and they could play football a whole lot better than you and you're standing against the fence and you're like, please choose me, please, you know, and you don't want to be the last one chosen. Let me tell you something, you were the first one chosen by God. He said, before the foundations of the world, he said, I plan to choose you. 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 And if you're watching via live stream, wherever you are in the world, God, he chose you. He sought you out. He came all the way from heaven to find you. And after he finds you, he goes through what's called the valuation process. He finds you, and then he says to you every day of your life, you are worth more than silver and gold. I love that. Listen to the heart of God. You see, God sees incredible value in us. The truth is God sees things in us that no one else can see. I thank God that God saw things in me that nobody else could see. It's kind of like my youth pastor. When I got saved and I got on fire for God, I... I had a youth pastor in Florida, and, uh, and I was really a bad kid in the youth group. I got kicked out of my youth group. I mean, what pastor, what youth pastor kicks a kid out of the youth group, man? <laughs> I mean, you're thinking, like, I got security here. He's never going to kick me out. He told me, don't come back. You're so bad. <laughs> but God could see something in me that no one else could see. That even when I was a teenager and I felt like I was useless, I was broken, I was beaten spiritually and emotionally. I was abused as a kid and thought, how in the world could God ever use me? But God saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself. Beyond that, God saw things in me that no one else could see. And I remember when I got saved and gave my heart to the Lord at 19 years old, I got married at 20 and I went to Florida to pay a visit to my relatives and went back to my old church. And now my youth pastor was the pastor of that church. And, and I was just so excited. I, I couldn't wait to see him. I couldn't wait to see Pastor Rick and tell Pastor Rick, man, you listen, Pastor Rick, all your prayers paid off. I know that you knew that someday I would be a pastor. I know that you knew that someday that I would do great things for the kingdom of God. And I can, I can never forget his response when I saw him that Sunday morning. I ran over to him. I said, Pastor Rick, you're not going to believe what happened. I'm, I, I got saved and God's restoring my life. And I'm going to go into the ministry. And he looked at me and he said, you of all people are going into the ministry. I can't believe it. God does miracles. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Man, but that's what God does. 
He, put, he puts value in us when no one else values us. Glory to God. When everybody else tells us we can't, God says we can. Hallelujah. When everyone else tells us we're ugly, God says we're beautiful. Glory to God. He sees potential. He sees possibility. He sees ability in us. I love the story of the woman who's caught in adultery. She is caught in the very act of adultery. And the Pharisees, the religious people, you know, listen, religious people, they never could see any good in anything. Religious people, people that follow the law, legalistic people can never see anything good in anything. They're always trying to control. And they can't control this woman. And so they figured, you know what, here's the best thing. This is what we need to do. Line her up against the wall and stone her to death. But Jesus could see something in this woman that no one else could see. And he goes through this whole thing with the Pharisees and they take off because he's reading their mail and they don't want anyone to see their mail. So they take off and he's with this woman all by herself. And he says, woman, where are those who accuse you? Where are the ones that say that there's no worth in you? And she said, they're not here. He said, well, then I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. And some theologians and some scholars believe that was the same woman who was the first person to see Jesus resurrected from the dead. Glory to God. That's what God does. He repairs us by finding us and then telling us that we have infinite value. I love what Matthew 13 says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man has found it, he, hid, he hides it again and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Wow. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. That's called redemption. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. You see, the third part of the process is now you have to go and buy that piece of furniture. You have to go and buy that car. And you know what? If somebody really believes there's great value in it, he might spend a lifetime saving up just for that one piece of furniture. He might spend a lifetime saving up just for that one car, that one very valuable item. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant that went out and he found something of incredible value. He hid it back in the ground. He went and bought it. And then he went and got the money, came back, and he bought it because he saw the great value. That's exactly what Jesus did when he redeemed you. Everybody say redemption. You see, it's the process of redemption. And what is redemption? Redemption is someone buying back something of great value. In the Old Testament, we, in the Old Testament, we called it the kingsman redeemer, where if someone was poor, where if someone it was about to lose everything, where, where perhaps maybe a wife, her husband dies, and they, and they had a whole lot of bills, and the creditors were now coming to take her children away, that a kinsman redeemer, someone who was related to the man who died, could come, and he could marry that person. And when that person was married to them, then the kinsman redeemer would buy back that person's freedom to be able to live outside of slavery. And that's exactly what Christ did when he came and died for us. He's our elder brother. He came and looked the devil straight in his eye, and he said, listen, devil, I've come to pay the price for my brothers and sisters, and as a result of that, I bought them back by my precious blood. That's why Peter said, I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, listen, don't ever forget, you were not purchased with silver and gold, he said, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. It cost Jesus everything to buy you back. That's how important, that's how worthy you are of redemption and restoration. I want you to close your eyes right now, and I want you to sing an old school song. We're going to go way back, and we're going to raise our hands together, and we're going to sing Oh, the blood of Jesus. Come on, raise your hand and say, Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus.
washes Come on, raise your hands and sing. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God of Jesus. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. And so God, he goes into that corner, into that garage, and he finds you. And once he finds you, he brings you home. He brings you home. The Bible says that there's more rejoicing in heaven when one sheep comes home. When one person comes home, God throws a party. And so now you're home, you're in the house, and you're feeling safe. You're feeling good. I'm in the house. I'm in God's house. It's like the prodigal child who comes home and God throws a feast. His father throws a feast for him because he rejoices and now we're home. And guess what? When God gets you into his house, he starts the process of stripping you down. He starts the process of sanding on you a little bit. And we don't like that. How many of you like to get sanded down a bit? You see, because even though you're in the house, and even though you're safe, and even though you're positionally sanctified, you know what the word positionally sanctified means? It means that if you died today, you would go to heaven because you're in Christ. But you see, the goal of God, God's whole purpose in your life is that you might become like Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody say amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 39 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so now we spend a lifetime becoming like Jesus Christ. That God begins to do a work in our life. But before he can even put his fruit in our life, before he can actually do the work, he's got to strip some of us down. He's got to strip some of us of our pride because our pride is keeping us from allowing God to do the work that he wants to do in our life. He's got to strip out the sin in our life. He's got to sand down all of the rebellion in our life so that we can be ready to be finished we can be ready to be beautified but we don't like that do we i don't like to be sanded on come on i don't like god sanding on me getting the stuff out of me friend that's god that's god doing a beautiful work of pruning us as the bible says god he's the vine dresser and he cuts off every Branch that doesn't bear fruit so that we can be productive and fruitful in our life. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to be beautiful. He wants, to be, he wants us to be productive and fruitful in our life, but he's got to strip away some stuff in our life. Every one of us have stuff in our life. How many of you have stuff in your life? You're asking God, God, take this stuff out of my life because it keeps me from really serving you. Some of us, we've got bitterness in our heart and in our life. Some of us, we've got unforgiveness in our heart. And God, he can't work in us as long as that bitterness is in our life. It stops the flow of grace in our life. Some of us got some hang-ups and habits in our life. Some of us have some sins that are easily besetting us and keeping us from everything that God wants us to be in our life. And we've got to come to the foot of the cross and we've got to say, I surrender all to you, God. And Lord, if you've got to do a work in my life, then do it. That's why James says, consider it pure joy when God begins to sand on your life a little bit. Consider it pure joy when you encounter all kinds of trials of your faith. That's the sanding of God. You see, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And there are a whole lot of times when God allows some discipline to go on in our life through the form of trials and testing in our life as peter said that we're to greatly rejoice when trials and testings come the fiery trials of our life because then we'll become like pure gold but we don't like the sanding but it's only through the sanding that god can make us everything he wants us to be listen i'm going to tell you something the times in my life that i've grown the most have been the times in my life where I have wanted to scream and say, God, please, no more. I can't take it anymore. 
And then I find myself as God sands away my pride and breaks me down to the point where I say, when I'm weak, God makes me strong. When I'm desperate for God, when I can't do it on my own, when I recognize that I'm not so slick and I'm not so smart and I'm not so wonderful and I'm not so glorious. When I get to that point in my life when I recognize I need God, then God stops the sanding process and he starts the refinishing process where he takes that piece of furniture that's been sanded down, that's been stripped down, and then he begins to take his beautiful, beautifying shellac and beautifying stains, and he begins to stain us. No, this is not a commercial for <laughs> Minwag. But he takes his beautiful varnish, and he takes his beautiful stain, and he begins to beautify our lives. Friend, I'm just so thrilled to see what God's already doing in your life. And maybe you can't believe it. Maybe you can't see it. But there's a whole lot of people that see some of the beauty of Christ coming out of you. And God continues to do that. Why? So that we can be a masterpiece of his glory. So that we can be a workmanship of his glory. So that God can begin to put the fruit of his spirit in our life. He puts love and peace and joy and gentleness and all of the fruit of the spirit in our life so that he can make us what God wants us to be. And once he gets us to that place, then we can be what God wants us to be. Fully open, fully surrendered to that process of allowing God to come into our life. And listen, don't ever worry because the last part of the process is this. He seals us for the day of redemption. I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. So he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we might be everything that God wants us to be. He clothes us. As Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He said, wait in the upper room. Let me sand you down. Let me beautify you. And then let me allow the Holy Spirit to come upon you and clothe you. He said, stay in the upper room until you are sealed or clothed with the precious Holy Spirit. Now, let me tell you, as the worship team comes this morning, that the restoration process in our life is a lifelong process. So don't get discouraged because you're in a process. And maybe some people are a little bit ahead of you because they've been in the faith a little longer, or maybe they've just allowed God to do the work a little quicker in their life. But don't ever get discouraged because he, listen to me, who's begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. Now, I have to tell you that while I was preparing this sermon this morning, I thought to myself, that's great, God. You restore furniture, and that's a great illustration. But then I thought to myself, you know what? I'm the, I'm the presbyter of this area. I'm the regional executive presbyter of this area, and I oversee 100 churches. And my job is to grade and oversee tests. People that are getting their credentials to be pastors. People that are getting their credentials for the Assemblies of God to be in the ministry. And every once in a while, look at me, every once in a while I come across a test from a young lady in the Teen Challenge program, or a young man in the Teen Challenge program. And at the end of every test, they have to give their testimony. They write it out. And I have to tell you, every time I read those testimonies of these young men, these young ladies, who were broken, who were in the corner of some garage, feeling like they would never be useful for the master. When I read their stories about how God found them, and how God took them and redeemed them, and how God is restoring their life. I can't help but to say, if anyone doesn't believe in God, they need to read these stories. Because let me tell you, God is in the restoring business. 
and he still restores lives. And I'm going to ask a young lady to come right now from Teen Challenge, and she's going to share her story for five minutes about how God restores people's lives. Give her a big hand. Jessica and I'm 19 years old. Hold it up higher. And I'm 19 years old. Um, I've been in Long Island Teen Challenge for seven months now. Um, just give you a little bit of background for my family. Um, when I was three, my parents got divorced and um, my, my whole world got shaken. Um, I was really young, but it just started with instability, no structure, no discipline. Um, my mom, <laughs> She, she got remarried a couple times, and we just kept moving from place to place. Um, I've lived in over 25 cities, houses my whole life. Um, when I was 11, um, I started smoking cigarettes and weed, and by the time I was 13, you know, it was ecstasy, acid, shrooms, drinking. Um, once I was 14, um, I met this guy, and I thought, I thought this guy was perfect. You know, I thought, I thought he was going to be my world, and um, I, was, I was definitely wrong. Um, he was selling and using pills, and he got me addicted to pills, and um, after six months of our relationship went by, he started sexually abusing me with his godfather, and that went on for the rest of our relationship. We went out for a year, and I was scared. I was scared to tell my mom. Um, I, I thought that she was going to be really mad at me. I thought I was going to get in a lot of trouble. And um, I, I just didn't want to tell her. I was scared. I was lost. I felt like I had nobody to go to. Um, I felt rejected, abandoned, just hopeless. And um, I finally, I went to New York to visit my sister. And I got away from him for a week. And when I came back, I got the courage to tell my mom. Because I talked to my sister about it and her friend. And her friend was like, if you don't tell your mom, I will. You know, and I told my mom. And it was the hardest thing I ever had to do, other than Teen Challenge. But it was the hardest thing I ever had to do, and I was so scared. And I told my mom, and um, she was like, why, why, why won't you tell me? You know, you're my daughter, I love you. I wouldn't be mad at you, why, why won't you tell me? to the police and they found all the evidence of everything and we had to move again we moved again and um i was still i was still doing pills you know and now i wasn't just doing them because i was physically addicted to them i was doing them because i was using it to cover up the pain i dropped out of school after 10th grade and um i didn't go back and um <clears throat> We ended up moving again. She met this guy, we moved in with him. He turned out to be crazy. He kicked out my brother and me, and I had to sleep in my brother's dorm for a couple of nights with my other brother. And, you know, it's a two-person room. So my aunt from New Jersey came and got me, and I moved to Rawway, New Jersey with her, and I met this guy, and there, it was hard to find pills out there, so this guy was like, oh, well, why don't, why don't you try heroin, you know? So I was 16, I was about to be 17, started doing heroin, and it got to the point where I was doing five to eight bundles a day. I was doing 10 bags at one time. I should be dead, I should not be alive. And um, it just it got really bad. And um, by the time I was 18 of June, not this year, but last year, my court stuff finished with my ex-boyfriend, and I got a very large settlement. Um, I bought three cars, I bought a lot of drugs, stayed in hotels for three months straight, and I ended up getting arrested. The day I was supposed to go home from the summer, I got pulled over and got arrested, and it was God saving me. Um, I got caught with 11 bundles, and I went to jail, and the judge released me and told me to go to a 28-day program. I went to a 28-day program, I did outpatient, after 70 or 80 days of outpatient, I ended up relapsing, and the judge found out and put me back in jail, and I was in jail for three months. 
And my mom wanted to get me into a program, which is a sister program of Teen Challenge. It's called Walter Hoving Home. And she bailed me out. My bail was 10000 I went to Walter Hoving Home December 5th. And my birthday is December 16th. I left the Walter Hoving Home the day after my birthday. You know, my birthday, I just, I wanted to have fun. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't ready, you know. And I went back out and I ended up, right, right after New Year's, I ended up overdosing. And my mom found out and she told me that I had to go to court. We were on our way to court. And I was like, mom, is the lawyer gonna be there? And she was like, no, why would he be there? And I was like, in case the judge remandates me to put me back in jail. She was like, no, I was like, oh, let me call him just to have him come. And I called him and he was like, your mom's revoking your bail, she's putting you back in jail. And I hung up the phone and I started crying. I'm like, mom, why, why are you doing this? You know, why are you gonna put me back in jail? She's like, I'd rather you be in jail than be dead. So she, and this whole time I'm out of Walter Hoving Home, I told my mom, I'm calling, I've been calling Teen Challenge, I'm waiting for a bed, they don't have a bed for me. That was a lie, you know, from hell. And um, she was like, I want you to call them right now in front of me. And I called them and they were like, oh, we're gonna call you back in 24 hours. And I was like, that's it, I'm going to jail. And um, they literally called me back in less than five minutes. They were like, we have a bed for you, come in right now. I came into Teen Challenge because of my mom and I didn't want to be here. Every day I was in the office and they just kept telling me, just stay, stay, just stay past your 21 days and then you can get visits and you can talk to your family. And um, I stayed and it was the best decision I've ever made. Um, When I first came into the program, um, the scripture that I stood on was Isaiah 42, don't be afraid, I've redeemed you, I've called your name, you're mine. And I held on to that. And I, the reason, I, I kept saying, you know, I'm, after, after my court stuff is done, I'm leaving, you know. My court stuff is done, I'm still here, and the reason why I'm still here is because of my relationship with God. When I first came in, I signed a paper that I will finish this program. It's a 12 to 14 month program, that was my commitment. And if I, if I left, that, that, would mean, that would mean that I would break my first promise to God, since I've had a relationship with God, that would me be breaking my promise, my first promise to God, and leaving and just walking out of his will. You know, and I, I don't wanna do that. You know, and another reason is the promise of him restoring my family. My sister's lost. You know, my brother's doing pills. My mom's a gambler, you know, and she's just moving from boyfriend to boyfriend. And if I leave, God will not restore my family. And that's another reason why I'm here. I'm here for my relationship with God and for him to restore my family. And um, Teen Challenge is hard, you know. It's, the hardest thing ever. It's the first time I've had structured, discipline, anything like that, you know, and I love it, you know, because I never had that with my mom, you know. My mom never disciplined me. I didn't have structure, stability, anything. And so this program's great, you know. It teaches you how to live, and the scripture that I stand on now is Romans 6, 20 through 23. When I was a slave to sin, I was free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did I reap at that time from the things I'm now ashamed of? But now that I've been set free from sin and become a slave to God, the benefit that I reap leads to holiness and the result eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen. I want you to be seated for a moment. We, we have just a few more minutes left. And this young lady is a masterpiece of God's grace. Amen. This young lady is in the process of becoming a great, mature young lady for God. 
I want you to listen, and we're gonna, we're gonna do this in three minutes. I want you to listen to one more story, real quick, about how God restores families. Tell us the story about how God has restored you and your family. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackie. Um, I, as well, came from a broken home with no stability, no structure. Both my parents are on their third marriage as well. Uh, my mother remarried a man when I was very young, and he ended up committing suicide when I was 13 years old. And my life was just very dark. I couldn't understand love because I now know that you can't give what you don't have. And my parents didn't have Jesus, so they couldn't give him to me. And what brought me to Teen Challenge is just a life of destruction of just drinking and partying. And I ended up just totaling seven cars intoxicated. I've gotten two DWIs before I was even 18 years old. And I've also been in and out of jail and in and out of rehabs. And I, uh, I just cried out to God one night because I, I myself was contemplating suicide. And I was like, God, if you're real, I need your help. And I passed this church and it had a sign that basically said that that Jesus was missing from my life and, and I just cried out and I knew at that moment that that was when God found me. And I went on the internet and I looked up uh, help for a faith-based program and I found Teen Challenge and I asked my probation to mandate me and they allowed me to come to New York and since I've been in Teen Challenge, my family was so blown away by my transformation that they have come to the Lord and they are now clean and sober. And when that happened, I knew with all my heart that God is real. And if he could do it for me, then he could do it for the lives of anybody. And that is why I'm a staff member at Teen Challenge. I've been clean and sober now for five years, and there is nothing else I'd rather do. than to serve in a program like Teen Challenge who helps people like, like Jessica who come in so lost and confused and not even believing that Jesus is real, but to show her my picture and say, this was me before in Teen Challenge, and it is real. And so I just thank you guys so much for allowing us to uh, share our testimonies of hope to you and of restoration. And if anybody here has any questions about the Teen Challenge program, please see us after service. I have brochures with us, and we would love to pray with you and encourage you. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Let's pray. Let's pray for these ladies. Father, we just want to thank you, God, for these incredibly beautiful ladies. Lord, we thank you, God, for the incredible, beautiful work that you're doing in their life, God. Lord, we thank you, Father God, that you're restoring them one day at a time. And the stories are miraculous, Lord. And we thank you, Lord God, that we're going to hear even greater stories in the future because you're turning them into your workmanship and your masterpiece. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Let's give these ladies a big hand one more time. I want you to bow your heads with me right now as we close this service. And maybe you're here today, this morning, and you say, you know what? I, I don't know if I'd die today, I'd go to heaven. Maybe you're watching this via live stream. Or maybe you're in the cafe, wherever you are. And you need God to find you this morning. Friend, I want you to know, come on, raise your hand and say, I'm here, God. I'm here, God. I want you to come and find me. I'm right here, God, and I need you to find me today, God. And guess what? God will come down and he will find you. You're not here by accident. You might feel like, well, you just came to this church because somebody invited you to come. You may feel like you came to this church because you were checking it out. But let me tell you something. God apprehended you this morning. He came and found you this morning. And he's speaking to you in your heart. And he's telling you that I want to restore your life. I want to heal your life. I want to heal those hurts in your life, and I want to bring that brokenness to a place of health and wholeness in your life. But you've got to let God find you today. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I die today, I'd go to heaven. I don't know if I really even have a relationship with Jesus, but I want today for God to find me. I want you to raise your hand quickly right now and say, yes, Lord. I want to see those hands. Raise them as high as you can. Say, Pastor, pray for me today. I need Jesus to come today and find me. God bless you. God bless you. Others that are here today in this place, in the balcony. Yes, I see those hands in the cafe. Yes. I want you to all stand with, with me right now. Stand to your feet if you would. Now, I want you to know that God is speaking to your hearts. That's why you raised your hand. 
But maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Steve, I need, to, I need to take a step towards God. He found me. He's talking to me. He's convicting my heart and he's wooing me to him today. I know he's here, but, but I need to take a step towards him today and say, I'm giving you my life, Jesus. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner and I'm a broken person. But God, I'm asking you today to come into my life. And I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me and bring healing to my heart. I want you in a moment, listen to me, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat. You say, Pastor, why do you make people step out of their seat? Because listen, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to come follow me. And so today you're going to follow Jesus. You're going to make a step towards Jesus. And I'm going to ask what we call altar workers to come right now. And they've got some information they want to give you so that you can read this information so that by the time you get home today, you will know for sure that if you die today, you'd go to heaven. You will know for sure that not only has God found you, but he's in your life today. So I want you to turn to your neighbor right now, and I want you to ask him this question. If you died today, are you sure that you'd go to heaven? If they say, I'm not sure, then I want you to say, I'll go with you today, and we'll let Jesus Christ be the Savior of our lives. I want you to do that right now. And if you raise your hand, I want you to start moving right now. Get out of your seat and come. I want to pray for you right here, right now. Come on. Turn to your neighbor right now and ask them. Go ahead. Go ahead. And if you raise your hand, come on out right now and meet me right here. Come on. Come on. If you raise your hand, come on out. Come on. Come on. Come on. They're going to start coming all over this place right now. Come on. Come on. In the balcony. If you're in the balcony and you raise your hand way in the back, I want you to get out of your seat this morning. Come and, and meet us right here at this altar. Come on. God bless you. It's awesome. God makes beautiful things out of dust. Amen? We'll wait. We'll wait. If you need to come, you come. You say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ today. You come this morning. Anybody else, you need to come this morning. Look at these precious little boys. Anybody else need to come this morning, you come. And here's what I'm going to ask everyone in this room to do today. I want you to bow your heads with me right now. We're going to pray. God, I pray for these wonderful people this morning, God. Lord, that they would know that you came and found them, Lord God. And Lord, there's nothing they can do to earn their way to heaven, God. All they simply have to do is receive your love and your forgiveness. All they have to do is ask you today to come into their hearts and in their lives and you'll bring the change into their hearts and into their lives today God Lord yes they need to repent yes they need to ask you to forgive them for doing their own thing and getting broken bruised and they need healing in their life God but but they can't do it on their own God they need you God so I pray for them right now God that you would touch them and that you would begin to do a work of your Holy Spirit in their life God would you raise your hands all across this place and pray this last final prayer with me? Would you pray, Lord Jesus, thank you for finding me today. I ask you right now, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Lord, be the Lord of my life today. Lord, I will serve you one day at a time, one step at a time. Seal me today with your precious Holy Spirit. And I thank you for your love for my life. It's overwhelming, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering. Hallelujah. Now, 